Today's episode is presented by Advanced Recruiting Intelligence, ARI. Visit ARIRecruiting.com to see how college coaches are using this new technology to be smarter recruiters. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, the radio voice of college bowling throughout the Midwest and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey, Coach, it's Dan. Hope you're doing great in spite of everything that's going on here in the summer of 2020. A lot of coaches are are using it to become better, and I hope you're one of them, Coach. Boy, there's so many tools out there, so many resources now for coaches to become great organizers, great recruiters, great coaches, great leaders. And we're going to talk to somebody who was in your shoes, former college basketball coach who now works with Tudor Collegiate Strategies and is the author of a really popular new book that college coaches especially are really loving uh, and using it to to train their team how to be team players, how to perform better, how to approach goal setting and achieving those goals as a unit and doing it very creatively through this book. Uh, My guest that I'm talking about is Jamie Beckler. And the name of his book is The Bus Trip. Now, it's fictional, and we'll get into the conversation with Coach Beckler here in a moment on why he used a fictional setting and why it's working so well for the teams that are using this to, uh, to help build their, their sort of move forward process and goals uh, into the 2020 seasons and, belo- and beyond. But uh, before that, really quick, Coach, before we get into the conversation, I had two things that a couple of coaches reminded me of that, and asked why I don't talk about them more on the podcast. So before we get into this conversation, just a quick diversion. We have a couple of resources that are, um, are really popular. One is free, one is very low cost. And the reason I'm mentioning these is because coaches say, hey, this has worked so well for us. Uh, why don't you mention it? Why don't you talk about it more? Well, sometimes I just like to have coaches discover what resources we offer that would work for them. And there's certainly you know, higher cost resources like working with us as a client where we uh, will help you figure out your recruiting strategy, build the, the messaging and doing the research as to what messaging is right. And that's very, very in-depth and involved. And there's many of you that are listening to this that we do that with your program. We do workshops going on campuses and everything uh, around the country to teach athletic departments how to recruit. But there are two lower cost researches that if you're an individual coach listening to this, you should be taking advantage of, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of other coaches. So the first one is, and I'll, I'll do the free one first, it's a brand new texting service that we are starting, that we're offering about, uh, well, close to a thousand coaches now are signed up to receive are almost daily text messages with unique, customized recruiting tips centered a lot around electronic communication, especially texting, because that's sort of an art form in recruiting, how to do that properly. So if you want to receive those text messages, just um, stop what you're doing and uh, jot down this number or, or type it in right now. All you have to do is send me a quick text at 661 218 2166. Okay, one more time. 661 218 2166. Just uh, send me a quick text and let me know that you want in. You'll receive uh, a text reply back immediately and you'll be on the list. And we are, again, really trying to give you a variety of ways to interact with us and get information from us 
on how to be better recruiters. And so that's one service. The other one is our Honey Badger recruiting site, which has a monthly subscription of $29. So that works out to about 95 cents a day. What you get for that is really in-depth daily articles on recruiting, our latest research, strategies. We talk as a community about what's working, what's not. We will pose uh, questions from other coaches or scenarios other coaches have used to be successful, and we'll teach on that. That has probably been one of the most successful things over the last year that we have that we have introduced and done, and so many coaches love that daily training delivered straight to your inbox. Plus, there is a website where you can access all the past articles. So, if you're interested in that, just go to dantutor.com and at the top look for the Honey Badger recruiting uh, tab or link, and you can uh, click on that, go to it, and it will prompt you to subscribe if you're not a subscriber. Just try it, Coach. I think you're really going to like it if uh, if you do. All right. Now, back to Jamie Beckler, his book, The Bus Trip. Great for coaches, very creative approach on how to build leaders and teamwork and, and work towards one goal. And we asked Coach Beckler to start off this conversation that you're going to listen to, Coach, why he chose this fictional setting, why a bus trip, uh, what got him started with this idea of, of helping coaches in this way through his new work, The Bus Trip. Here's Coach Beckler. Well, as a coach, I was always trying to, you know, how, how can I make my players better? How can I make our team better? Obviously, you want, you know, good X's and O's, and you, and you want to work with them in practice and training sessions and, and, and help develop their skills. But, but I also knew that they have to have better leadership skills. They have to better have better character skills, be better people, be able to handle adversity, be able to handle, you know, the ups and downs that come with a, a, a season, a college season that you're in. And so... You know, I was always as a coach looking for tools, looking for ways to help my players get better. And so I would use some books uh, from John Gordon or I'd use some books from John Maxwell. Uh, I'd have guest speakers come in. I would do all these kinds of things. And so when I got out of coaching, when I got out of organized athletics and went into full time speaking and leadership consulting, I I was like, you know, I want to write some books. And then when I started writing books, I was like, I want to make sure that all the books I'm writing are going to be books that I would have used as a coach. Uh, I think they need to be valuable. I think they need to be useful to coaches, people that were in my situation, you know, uh, what I was in a couple years ago and what they're in now. And so I wrote the bus trip. My first two books were nonfiction, Mm -hmm. and I was really excited about them, uh, especially the leadership playbook. Uh, But uh, I wanted to do a fictional book. Uh, I love John Gordon's books or Patrick Lencioni's books, like The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, Todd Gonware wrote a great book, Lead for God's Sakes. And so I like those kind of parables or modern day uh, fables. And so I wanted to write uh, one like that, that it would be easy to read. Uh, a kid could read it. They it wouldn't feel like it was a lecture. It would feel like a story. You know, people like stories. That's why we go watch uh uh, movies. That's why uh, right. Right. We, we we watch Netflix. We binge on all these shows because we like stories. And so I wanted to write a story that kids would read and that they could relate to as well, but that would also teach a lot of valuable lessons. So when you, when you wrote this, um, you did it around uh, a fictional bus trip. And like you mentioned, your other books were nonfiction. This one is a story, uh, as you pointed out. So kind of take us behind the scene. You know, I think a bus trip is something that most athletes and most coaches can immediately relate to because no matter how far you advanced in your athletic career or 
at what level you played at, there was always the bus trip. And there, that was just sort of part of, it is part of the athletic culture in the U.S. So kind of take us behind that idea and maybe lay out what, for those who haven't read it, what the book is about and kind of the, the setting that it takes place in. Yeah, so like you alluded to, I mean, it's it's called the bus trip. It's about a a team that that gets up early in the morning. Uh, uh, you know, uh, apparently it's a Saturday or it's a day off, mm-hmm. uh, like a holiday or whatever. They get up early in the morning uh, and they uh, get on the bus. They go to this game, they play this game, and then they come home. and And that's the that's the easy part of it. The hard part is what happens. And and we you know, during that trip. And we've all been on those bus rides where we stop at a rest area. We stop at a, at a, a, a place to eat. We, we have the locker room, you know, after the game, you know, are people getting dressed quickly? The training room, are they getting out of the training room? We have parents that, that confront the coach and, and we just have so many different scenarios that go on on a bus trip, you know, the conversations that go on in the back of the bus. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to take realistic situations. You know, what do we encounter as coaches? And then how can we handle those situations that come up? You know, a lot of times there are ne- there are negative situations or a lot of times these are issues that can really eat away at our culture. Um, you know, a coach, a coach is only going to do so much. A coach can have a great two hour practice. We could even have a great game, but that can all be torn down by what happens in the locker room or what happens in the dorm room or the back of the bus or at a rest area. You know, all that kind of stuff, those conversations, just like in a business. You know, a boss can have a, a, a great email or a great poster up on the wall or try to have a good culture, but, you know, two or three employees in the break room or at the water cooler can totally destroy a culture of an organization. And so we know that these things happen on bus rides and, and some more than others. You know, if you have a great culture, it's not going to happen as much, but it's still going to happen. You know, you're still going to have players like the opening, the very opening chapter has these two roommates getting up, you know, the alarm clock's going off, these two roommates are getting up. Well, one plays a lot and one doesn't. And the one that doesn't play a lot, he's actually a captain of the team, but it's only because he was a senior. And and a lot of us can relate to that where we have captains that we don't really like, that they aren't really great leaders. And so we start off with the very first chapter being something that, that happens often is two friends or two roommates, one plays and one doesn't play. And and how do you deal with that? And how do you keep the negative one from, from, uh, you know, being, uh, contagious with the other one. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, we had a, uh, I had a coach that actually, he emailed me the other day and said he wanted to buy 25 copies for his whole team. And, and, you know, we get a lot of coaches that buy this for their teams. But what was interesting about this coach that I remember is he said, yeah, I haven't read the book yet. I just read the first chapter and all I had to do was read that first chapter and knew that it was realistic and it would speak to our team. And so I was like, great, you know, because that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to make from start to finish. I wanted to make a book that resonated uh, with a team and that any team could relate to for the most part. And, and we had, uh, I believe we had a total of 15 people on my advisory team and some, they were all current uh, high school or excuse me, current uh, coaches or ADs. And then we also had a couple current student athletes because I wanted to make sure this wasn't just old guy, Jamie, you know, get off my lawn type <laughs> guy, you know, where, where I'm just lecturing and I'm, you know, uh, I, I wanted it to be realistic. And a couple times, you know, some of the athletes and coaches were like, yeah, you got to split this chapter up or yeah, no one would ever talk this way. 
like what you're saying right now isn't realistic. Like you've got to change that wording because nobody would actually say that. So, and I was glad for that. And, and certainly I don't think we got a perfect book, but, but we put out a book that I, I do think will resonate with a lot of teams. And, you know, speaking of, of teams, the team that you're, you're putting forward in this book, that is the kind of the foundation for all the lessons that, that coaches can learn through reading it and their teams can learn through reading it. But I thought it was interesting that you, uh, you chose a team fictionally on, on this bus trip that was struggling. They weren't the, the top team. They were, they were mired in the, the, the O four season. Um, why, why did you do that? Like, why, why did it have to be a team that was struggling to sort of make the points that you wanted to make or what, maybe how did that lend to the story or the lessons that coaches can learn from this? Yeah. You know, the, the one, what we, what we wanted to do was we wanted to have a book that appealed or to as many coaches or teams as possible, or, or a book that, that more teams could pick stuff out of. And we felt like if it was a, if it was a winning team, but they were just having some issues that wouldn't a team that's really struggling wouldn't relate to that. And we felt like there's probably more teams in this country that has dysfunction and has a lot of struggles than teams that have that seemingly have it all together and just have one or two issues here and there. But yet if we have a team that, you know, looks like everything is going wrong or there's all these issues, a team that is really good, a team that's a winning culture, and they only have one or two minor issues here and there, well, those one or two minor issues might actually be in this book. And so I, I think even if you have a strong culture, there's going to be something that you can get out of this book because there's going to be, you know, there's two stars, let's say. The, the stars are always late. They're, they always feel entitled. Right. Uh, you know, they average 20 points a game, but they're on a losing team, but they think that the world revolves around them. Or like I said earlier, roommates who one plays and one doesn't. Uh, somebody who doesn't think that they're going to get it in the game, so they don't prepare. And then all of a sudden there's foul trouble and they have to get into the game. Uh, all these kinds of things that happen, parent getting confronted, and then how does that kid feel? What does that kid do after they see that their parent confronts the coach? So all these things that even if you don't truly have a dysfunctional culture, these things probably do pop up at some point uh, during your season. You just don't know when and into what magnitude. And so we wanted to put, we put about 10 or 12 different situations in the book or conversations in the book that, that I think will resonate and and you might not have like i said you might not have what but patrick lencioni would talk about five dysfunctions of a team you might not have that on your team but you are going to have some issues every once in a while and so we wanted to provide a blueprint so kids could read this and they can say oh you know what i had that situation before but i didn't say what this character said and if i had said what this character said maybe it would have turned out better or that's something I, I never thought of that angle before. So we wanted to give kids a different perspective on how to handle things. And certainly it's more of an ideal book, but it's, it's 100% true. Like it works Those, or not. The book's not true, even though it is based on like right. 25 years of true stories, but, <laughs> right. Right. but, uh, but the stuff in here is, I say it's ideal meaning this is what we would want our kids to say. This is how we would want them to handle situations. It doesn't mean that they're going to handle it that way, but it's not based in theory. Like this actually works. But one of the things I want to, I want to piggyback on that. One of the things that not everyone might pick up on in the book is that every single conversation happens between kids who have mutual respect for one another or like each other. There's never a case where these two people don't have a good relationship 
and then all of a sudden one of them tries to hold the other accountable. Like that just doesn't work in real life. You know, if you see someone doing something wrong and they don't know you, if they don't know, like, and trust you, if, if they don't, you know, know who you are, then you're not going to be able to convince them. And that's the same way on a team. And so every single situation that happens, it always, change always happens because there's respect there with the person that's holding someone accountable or reminding someone of the standard. So back up a little bit, Jamie, because for those of you that, that are listening and you don't know Jamie Bechtler yet, um, author of several books, former college coach, um, and you work a lot in the leadership realm, teaching coaches and, and groups, organizations, teams, uh, good leadership principles. And you identified some things that, let's say, the common team, especially one that is struggling or not a you know, championship caliber level team yet, would struggle with. And I'm just wondering, you know, from, from the big picture view as you step back and you look at both organizations as well as teams, why is there such a, uh, I'll say a crisis of leadership or a lack of it, or, or even just the idea that I just don't know how to lead effectively. And so I'm reading and I'm getting these resources like the bus trip in my hands to, to learn, but I guess, why is there that deficit in our culture when you would think on the athletic side, especially, and even in, you know, on the business side, you know, I think the, the perception is, well, that's a bunch of good leaders. Those are, that's how they got to this level uh, is because they're great leaders. And yet, as you're identifying, they, they lack. And, and the proof of that is that there's a lot of dysfunctional teams, whether it's in a, um, you know, on a basketball court or in a, be- a boardroom or anything. And I'm just, I'm just wondering your assessment as to why, why do we struggle with that in our culture? Yeah. Great question. And, and, and there's a couple things that come to mind right away. Number one is it's hard. It really is hard to be a good positive leader consistently. Um, because it, it's hard to do, it, it shouldn't be hard to do what's right all the time. And it shouldn't be hard to, to get your friends to do what they're supposed to do all the time. But we have egos, we have agenda, we have feelings, we get our feelings hurt. Uh, there's all different kinds of things that come into play. And so being a leader sometimes is hard. Uh, and, and secondly, with that is I think we have a different, I, I think of leadership differently than maybe the, the popular viewpoint of leadership. Leadership isn't just about, you know, you have this position or you have this status. So, so leaders aren't just the coaches. Leaders aren't just the captains. They're not the seniors. Uh, the stars on your team leaders can be there anyone on your team can be a leader because I believe leadership is really just influence it's somebody influencing someone else to do something you know hopefully positive but you but you can also influence people negatively you can have negative leaders as well but everybody even that freshman that's sitting down at the end of the bench next to the trainer and the water cooler can be an influencer. They can influence somebody. Certainly they can do what they're supposed to do and influence themselves, but then they can influence uh, that other freshman, that, that freshman roommate that they have. They can influence that other person on the bench that sits next to them on the other side. You know, um, the trainer's on one side and, and the other freshman that never plays is on the other side. Well, you can influence them to, to stand up and cheer. You can influence them, um, to do what's right, to slap hands to, Hey, you want to get in the gym and shoot extra? I'll, I'll rebound for you. You know, that, and I'm, I'm talking a lot of basketball analogy cause I was a basketball coach, but this applies to anything, you know, Hey, you want to, you want to go work out or you want to go do this? You can influence people. And so I think sometimes we sit back and we say, well, I, I'm not a leader because I'm not such and such or, or whatever, fill in the blank. 
when we don't give ourselves enough credit, we can all be leaders and we can all impact change. And, and one of the, the, uh, like the pictures, the word pictures or stories that I use with a lot of kids is when you go to the, uh, a big sporting event and, and you, you know, we all see this wave happen and, and the wave takes place and, you know, you've got 80,000 people doing the wave. Well, not at one point did the PA address announcer say, all right, we're going to do the wave or on the jumbotron. It didn't say, all right, section 29, you're going to start the wave. No, it started because one Yahoo probably drunk, but one Yahoo decided he wanted to do the wave or she wanted to do a wave. And then they get someone else to do the wave who gets another person to do the wave and so on and so forth section after section. And eventually 80,000 people are doing something because of one person. And, and that person could be the poorest person in the stadium, could be the ugliest, could be the, the biggest idiot in the stadium. I mean, you have no idea uh, who they are. They, pro- they may not have any kind of position whatsoever, but now everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, or, well, not what they're supposed to do, but everyone's doing something together because of one person, another person, another person. And that's the same way. One person can influence a friend, who then could influence another friend. And, and so I don't think enough coaches teach this kind of stuff. I don't think enough coaches take the time. Uh, they value culture, but during their season, they just get so bogged down and I got I to gotta get these practice plans. I got to do these plays. We got to do this and this and this. And they, they stop being proactive about the leadership stuff, but then they bang their head against the wall when their kids don't do what they're supposed to do or when they have jealousy or they have agendas or selfishness on the team when people aren't doing what they're supposed to do and, and then we knee jerk react. And, and uh, I think the best teams place more of an emphasis on that. And, and at the end of the day, as coaches, we're going to get what we emphasize or we allow. Right. Right. So give me, uh, I'm just, it was, uh, as I was listening to you describe those situations, those, uh, those individuals um, as, as examples, and I want to get to a couple of recommendations or, or, um, main things that you would draw, especially college coaches to when they read this book in terms of lessons without giving away the need to read the book, because it's a great one. Um, but I'm just wondering from a coaching standpoint, who is from a, you know, the complete package, obviously smart coaches, but also a good leader. Who is your sort of, who do you want to emulate when it comes to leadership? Who do you feel like provides everything that, um, that uh, a good leader should probably try to have in his or her program and in his or her life as a college coach? <laughs> that's a, that's a great question. There's a lot of coaches doing it the right way. Um, and, and some of them are, are coaches you've, you know, uh, most of, most of us haven't necessarily heard of, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they're coaches, coaches, or, or, you know, the, the D three coaches that right. have won 500 games or whatever, and no one's heard of them because they're not D one. But, um, I, w- I want to give you kind of a uh, – it's almost a Sunday school answer because in Sunday school you say God and you're, you're right almost all the time um, or something. Like my son right now, you know, I'll be like, I'm tougher than you. And he's like, yeah, but you're not stronger than God. Or I'm faster than you. And he's like, yeah, but God's faster. It's like, okay, trump card all the time. But, but uh, uh, John Wooden, I want, I want to talk about John Wooden. And I know, all right, this is old school, John Wooden. All right, his stuff doesn't work. Okay, but – the way that he treated players and the way that he connected with players, um, you know, people forget he was coaching during the Vietnam War era. And the Vietnam War era wasn't exactly rainbows and butterflies. Right. Um, or, I mean, in some ways it was. But, 
you know, it wasn't all, it wasn't like a hot knife going through butter. It wasn't easy to coach then. You had kids rebelling. You had the Vietnam War where, you know, kids are getting shot on college campuses. It wasn't an easy thing. And a couple of years ago, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came out with a book called uh, Coach Wooden and Me, Our 50-Year Friendship. And the amazing thing to me about that whole relationship is you've got this guy writing a book describing this relationship and how there was this mutual respect there, but yet you almost couldn't be any further apart on the demographic scale than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and John Wooden, you know, were, you know, one's short, one's tall, one's white, one's black, one's a Muslim, one's a, a Protestant, you know, one's old, one's young, you know, one's an authority, one's a, 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 a subservient position, you know, or a, a, a college, you know, you're under a coach. Um, one's from an inner city, one's from a, a small town, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, you can't really get any farther apart. And yet here, these two people had a relationship for all this time. And you don't have that if you don't connect with people. And if you don't have mutual respect for people. And I think sometimes coaches, and I was in the same boat, especially early on as a young coach, is I spent way too much time trying to prove that I belong and trying to prove that uh, this, you know, I'm a stud coach because I got this job at 27 or, you know, I'm a young head coach and so I belong and, and, and I'm not connecting with my players. It's not about the players and how can I get them from where they are to where they need to be and how can I have respect mutually. Um, it was about, it was kind of a one way uh, a one way relationship. Hey, I'm, I'm an expert and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And I don't think if John wouldn't have done that, um, that he would have had a relationship with 50 years or a friendship for 50 years with somebody that was, that was really completely opposite of him. And I think we can still learn those lessons today because even though that was a long time ago, they were still going through difficult stretches then. And, and working with people is still working with people no matter what generation. I mean, there's specifics that change, but people are still people. People still have feelings, emotions, agendas, wants, desires, all those kinds of things. And you have to tap into those. And I think the best coaches are able to do that. The, you know, going with uh, basketball, uh, uh, John Calipari. I, I think John Calipari is, is vastly, this will sound crazy, but he's vastly underrated in some circles because people say, you know, he just rolls the balls out or he's not that great of a coach. There's a lot of coaches better than him. And you know what? There's probably a lot of coaches X's nose better than John Calipari. But one thing he does so well is, is he can relate to his guys. He gets a whole team of future NBA guys to come together and put their wants and desires on the back burner uh, for a time being um, for the good of the team. And certainly he's not perfect at that. And every year it gets a little more challenging. But, you know, guys like that, if, if you're able to to take a group of people and know what makes them tick and then help show them how, you know what, what you do, your role right now, that's that's worth it. That That is, uh, you know, that's valuable to our team. And what you do here, you know, Jalen, what you do affects what Jawan does over here. And Chris, what you do here, that affects what Jimmy does over here. And so you guys need each other, no matter if you're the fifth per, 15th person on a team or the first person on a team. And, and I think all this kind of stuff that we're talking about, Dan, I know, I know you are the man when it comes to recruiting. And you had the best stuff out there for recruiting. All this stuff plays into that because your players are going to be as great of recruiters as the coaches listening to your show right now are. Your players are better recruiters than you are. 
they're going to sell your program better than you as a coach are going to do. And if they're unhappy, if, if, they're, if they think that you're a fraud or if you talk team, but then you don't ever reward people for being team, good teammates, then that's going to come out in the recruiting process. And you're going right. to have a harder time getting better players in the future if you're treating your current players poorly. We'll be back to the show in just a minute. But first, a quick question. What makes a college coach a more intelligent recruiter? Well, it starts with using technology that actually gives you insights and trends when it comes to the recruits you're communicating with. That's the mission of Advanced Recruiting Intelligence. RE gives college coaches the ability to track, rank, and communicate with recruits like no other app available to coaches. And the best part? It costs 20 to 40% less than what most departments are paying for their older recruiting contact management programs. For a free demo, and to see why so many coaches are saving money and using better technology to boost their recruiting results, visit ARIRecruiting.com. And now, back to the show. You know, I, I, again, I want people to buy the book, but I also wanted to just give them a little taste of, because there's so many leadership books out there, so many coaching books, um, and, you know, I, I just want to make sure that we touch on some things that you think are going to be the main takeaways when a coach gets this either for themselves or for their team, like that one coach did uh, that you mentioned at the, at the start of the, the talk. But w- what are some of the, the big takeaways that you think for a college coach is going to be important to, to understand or read as they are going to get out of this, uh, this, this story and, and also maybe applying that to what their athletes are getting out of it. Because I think the, the thing I love about it is that it is, you know, when you're on that bus, no matter what sport, no matter what level, um, you're there as a team. And other than practice and really even more than in a game, you're there together and you're bonding and you're, it's that uh, sort of casual time where you actually get to know people and you get to see who, you know, who is serious about what they're doing and who isn't and who's a leader and who's not. So as they read this book, what are some of the, the big things that, uh, that coaches are going to come away with in terms of a new way of looking at things or a new strategy when it comes to, to unifying a team on one mission? Yeah, one of the things we did with this book, and it was intentional, and, and you know I've talked to a few people that maybe don't like it as much in terms of what we did, but we didn't make the coach great. We didn't make the coach terrible. Like you, whatever your preconceived notion of a coach is, you probably saw that in this coach. Uh, If you think coaches are the root of all evil, then you probably picked up on some of the things he said that he could have done better. If you think coaches are trying hard and they're, and they're mean well, then you picked up on all the things where he has a big heart. I didn't want to make this about the coach. Uh, Certainly you have to have a coach, but we didn't make this coach centered. This is player centered book. I wanted players to see that there are certain ways that they can help each other and uplift each other and together, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships that they can make each other better and that they can remind each other of standards and expectations that they have um, on the team. So it's not just waiting for the coach to say, all right, we're going to do this or waiting for the coach to hold people accountable, even though, yeah, you know, coaches are going to do that. But really lasting change, changing, you know, behavior modification is going to happen when people really have a strong motive to do so. And oftentimes it's not because the coach says something, but it's because a friend or someone that they really respect says something. And so we wanted to provide students that opportunity to, to learn maybe 
okay, what could I say in this situation? And so, you know, the players kind of now we, we cram it all kind of in a day and then there's some follow up. They have a tournament uh, the next week or whatever. You know, we have a couple chapters at the end about how the season ends up. And even in that, it doesn't quite end up the way you might expect it to. Though when Disney gets a hold of it, I'm sure that they'll change they'll change up the ending to be more <laughs> Disney like. But uh, but but what the the players I think what people are going to come away with this is players realized, hey, we need to do better. We can do better. We need to do better. And it's on me. It's not on the coach. The coach could be the biggest jerk, or the coach could be the best coach in the world. But ultimately, it's on me. And each one of the players, if they start thinking that way, then the team is going to be better. When I can, when I can improve myself, then the team is going to get better as well. And so, I hope they understand how they can be a more positive leader, how they can be a better teammate. And and so we, the book is just littered full of different stories, different analogies, different things that that you know the kids are essentially telling each other or. Hey, remember in a sports management class today when Dr. Wilson said this, you know, so they're kind of talking, you know, even with, you know, the nerd that everyone's making fun of because, you know, he can't play cards right now because he's got to study. He's got to, he's got to get this studying for this test done. And so they kind of rib him good naturedly, like happens all the time. And then they end up talking about the, the teacher and Dr. Wilson and some of the stuff that he said in class. And then that's, they relate that to what went on in the game today, or they relate that to something some kids going through. And so that's the kind of stuff that, that goes on. People talk about that kind of stuff, but you can use it for good and you can use those lessons and, and become better. You know, uh, Bill Belichick, John Wooden, they both, I both heard them say best way to improve the team is to improve yourself. And so I think if players can understand that they can make themselves better, which then ultimately makes the team better. But you asked for one takeaway. One of the number one takeaways would be uh, get rid of those excuses, personal responsibility. And I think the more our players can understand that, that, that they have to stop making excuses because excuses don't get them any closer to their goals, whatever that is. I mean, it, it could be a lot of times it's, well, coach is a jerk. Okay, but that doesn't mean you didn't touch the line. I mean, in your sprints, you know, why didn't you touch the line? A coach is a jerk. Like that's their answer for everything. Right. Or, you know, it's always something else or it's always someone else's fault. And when we start taking responsibility for things and realize there are certain things that we can do. I mean, how many times as a football player, when I played football, I'd be like, if it rained or something, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch that pass. It was, it was just it, too slippery. It's like, really? No one else caught a pass the whole game? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm acting like nobody else caught a pass. Like other people caught passes. What did they do? Or, man, I just couldn't get separation from that defensive back. You know, the footing was terrible. Oh, so the footing wasn't bad for him? I mean, come on now. You know, and, and that stuff, you know, I, I, unfortunately, when I was a player, I would fall into that trap every once in a while. But we all are like that, no matter no matter what it is, you know, and whether it's a coach or a player or even husbands. You know, I have excuses all the time for why I didn't pick up those socks in the corner of the bedroom. Right, right. I never do, Jamie. I'm, I'm perfect in that way. So um, I can't relate to that. Um, <laughs> but I, you mentioned something you talked about a second ago, um, that the team realized that they had to kind of step things up. It brings me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, actually, and that is when it comes to developing that team, uh, you know, just the momentum and the, you know, the going in that, that right direction. Uh, look, if you're a struggling team, losing team, it's not 
the next step is to win a championship. The next step is just to start winning and develop that culture and, you know, take that one step at a time. But can that be top driven down? In other words, from the coach, can he be the one, she be the one to just sort of force it into the team and reteach them? Or do you feel like just from studying a lot of coaches and being around a lot of coaches and knowing the mindset that it takes, does it have to be from the bottom up? In other words, is it, uh, you know, is it coach centered or does it truly mean you have to collect the best players and they're the ones that, that uh, sort of, you know, from the bottom up, get it to where it needs to be going? Yeah. No, another great question. And it, it's really difficult, um, you know, no matter what level you're coaching at, though it's easier at the pro level, but it's difficult no matter what level, if you're not showing an example of how to do this stuff. So if you're a bad leader, if you're a selfish leader, if, if you're a very negative leader, then it's going to be hard to expect that your kids, your, your athletes are going to be the opposite, that they're going to take on a team mentality, that they're going to take on an unselfish or humble mentality because you don't have it. Um, so some, so some degree it does stem from the top in terms of the vision or that example, but every kid on a team, every, and I keep saying kids, but you know, on a college, you know, everyone listening to this is a college coach, every athlete, young adult that you have on your team, they're individuals. So even when we say the team, even in this book, the team, uh, understood that they needed to do better. What it really was, was a bunch of individuals deciding they needed to do better. Um, and, and as you know, if you read through this book, the thing is there wasn't a, there was a team meeting at the end, but there wasn't a team meeting of, Hey, we got to do better. It was a team meeting because the captains called a team meeting because they wanted to tell the rest of the team what they learned, but they had no idea that the rest of the team individually had learned many of the same lessons. So all these things are going on and you don't always know. And so a, a common thing that, that a player will say or that anyone will say is, well, it doesn't matter what I do anyways. You know, who am I? One person doesn't matter. But you don't know there might be other people having the same epiphany or having those same thoughts at the same time. And if you guys are all doing what you're supposed to do and coming to that same conclusion, then all of a sudden that moves your team forward. It doesn't always have to be, you know, that, you know, the gladiator or Braveheart or, you know, Hollywood type where the star gets up, makes this rousing speech. And all of a sudden everybody follows them into battle. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's just one after one person here, one person there, one person there. And before you know it, your whole team is doing what they're supposed to do. So, Yes, it starts. It 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 ha, it's so difficult if the leader, the the positional leader on the team, the coach, let's say, is a bad leader. It's hard for everyone else to follow suit. But there's going to be somebody on your team that can do what's right, that can influence people to do what's right, even if the coach is a jerk, even if coach does this, even if our captains don't do this. I can still do what I'm supposed to do. John Maxwell has a he has a book called The Three Hundred and Sixty Degree Leader. And he talks about how you can lead wherever you are in a 360-degree pattern. So you can lead uh, up, you can lead down, you can lead side to side. You know, no matter where you're at, you can always lead the people around you. Um, you don't have to just, you know, say, well, I'm not the leader, so I won't be a leader. Uh, you can always be a leader to somebody. And, and a lot of times, middle managers or players 
you know, we'll, we'll say, well, I'm a nobody. Well, actually, you know, maybe an assistant coach listens to you. Maybe, maybe you have the ear of them, or maybe they were the ones that recruited you the most. And so you might be able to talk to them and maybe, you know, a freshman coming in, you know, respects you because you're the upperclassmen. So you might be able to have influence over them. Um, you know, there's all kinds of people that you can have influence on if you, if you just take the time to think about it. Lots of eyes are watching you and lots of people will, will do what you ask them to do or, or do what you're doing because they're inspired by you because they, they have respect for what you are or who you are and what you do. So last question, because um, the whole, again, the whole story is centered around the bus trip. That's the title of the book. And we'll link to the um, the link to purchase the book here in the show notes if uh, a coach wants to get it for themselves, their team. But the coach still has responsibility as, at the college level for who gets on the bus, for who they have on that team. And so what is, as just a final takeaway, Jamie, what is the, the message or the lesson here from a recruiting standpoint that, um, that you would say coaches are going to get from this? Uh, because again, they college is one of those places where you have complete control most of the time over what your roster looks like. And so if there is dysfunction on the team, um, look, I mean, you know, the buck stops with the coach and, and I'm just wondering what part of this went back to recruiting and getting the wrong kids maybe in the first place. Um, or is that just impossible for a coach to to manage in that setting, in your opinion, on the recruiting side? Well, it, it is impossible to be perfect. Um, oh, yeah, that's not I the agree. same Absolutely. thing. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, I, I've reminded of that daily. It's impossible to be perfect. It's not impossible to, to, to live up to what your core values are consistently um, as much as you can to, to do as, as so in other words, we talk all the time as coaches about these are our core values you know, and, and whatever they are for your program, but most everyone listening has core values or has things that are most important to them. But do you live up to those daily? Do you actually emphasize those daily or are you allowing things to creep in distractions or obstacles to creep in? So if, if you have, these are the things that are most important to our program, or these are the things that are most important to you, then everything you do should revolve around those when crisis comes, you know, we've, we've all just had this huge worldwide pandemic. Okay. Crisis comes, we might have crisis. We'll, we will definitely have crises coming up, maybe not a pandemic level, but we're going to have crises coming up. If we don't have rock solid core values, then we're going to be like a kite or a tumbleweed and whichever way the wind blows, that's which way we're going to go. So, you know, as a coach, we see this all the time in recruiting. We take chances or we cut corners in recruiting because we have to win now. Well, how many of us have still got these studs and we actually are worse off because they're such a bad apple? Um, or we still get these kids and we don't win enough still to keep our job or whatever. In the short term, that's rarely that rarely works. And then your culture is bad and then it becomes a uh, uh, like a secular, uh, you know, it's a cycle. You know, right. we're, 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 we have a bad culture. So we think the way to get a better culture is to win. And so we recruit these players to help us win, but they're not good for our culture. And then we continue to do poorly. Um, and it goes round and round, but you know, I, I like what you said. The buck stops here. Um, you know, as coaches, as leaders, oftentimes we say, well, it's not our fault. And you know what? We may be right 
99% of the time, it's not our fault. I'm not concerned about if it's our fault or not. I'm concerned about making things right, doing the right thing. It may not be our fault, but it is 100% our responsibility to try to find a solution and to try to find uh, a way to do things right. If, if you want a better culture, then you have to do one of two things or both. You have to train your people to, to do what they're supposed to do, to emphasize a certain culture and not allow things that are contrary to that. And or you have to recruit to that culture. You have to bring in people that fit into that culture and do uh, what you want for your culture so you're not banging your head against the wall two years from now. I remember I was in my fourth year as my as a head coach, my first first job as a head coach, and I'm telling my assistants, "Man, we just have idiots. These are these kids are idiots." And my assistants like, "Coach, you said this last year, and the year before, and the year before." And I said, "Yeah, because they're always idiots." And she goes, "Yeah, but coach, you recruited all those players. Like like the players change every year, but you keep saying that they're idiots, and you're the common denominator." And now I had good staff that that would hold me accountable and would was free to to speak their mind but that like that was like a proverbial slap in the face cuz it was like yeah either i have to get better i have to be better and help them be better or i have to recruit different people because every year if they're idiots or slow or or i mean soft or dumb or fill in the blank not committed well i'm either recruiting the wrong ones or i'm not developing the ones that i bring in and that's how we wrapped up our conversation with Coach Jamie Beckler, author of The Bus Trip, also the author of several other books, and we will link to all of them in the show notes. So if you're interested in getting his resources, having him talk with your team, or talking to him about the book, all of his contact information is going to be there. You can order the books for your team. And like I said, a lot of coaches are doing this because it's a creative and it's just a different approach to building leaders and really come together as a team to identify the right way to win in your program and to build the right culture in your program. So uh, if you if you want to read something uh, from somebody who was walking in your shoes for a long time, this is a book I highly recommend. And Coach Beckler did a great job in, uh, in outlining everything in the book and telling a very creative, very interesting story that I think your athletes are really going to resonate with. So we're excited to recommend it and excited to have Coach Jamie Beckler as a part of our team here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. So, Coach, that's going to do it for today. Hope you're doing well. We're starting to wrap up the end of this season of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, preparing for our new season starting in 2020, for the 2020-2021 school year. Should be an interesting one if uh, the spring and summer of 2020 were are any indication. But we'll be ready to help in however we can, and we're going to uh, do our best to bring you information, guests, experts, authors who can help you do that. So keep on listening. Keep uh, letting your fellow coaches in your department know about us, know about the podcast, and make sure you subscribe to leave some feedback on whatever subscription platform that you're using as well. So we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're on all the big ones, so uh, leave some feedback. We really appreciate that, and uh, hope you have a great day. Hope this helped, Coach. We'll be talking to you again soon here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com 
and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. And so, yeah, recruiting.